Hey everybody, Mary Grothy is the EO of Sales BQ and your host of the Quota Crusher podcast. Today, we happen to find maybe one of the most powerful guests that we've had to date. Why do I love him? Because he aligns 100% with everything that we teach and everything that we preach. As you know, at Sales BQ, we care about BQ, the behavioral quotient. That's your get up and go. That's your decision every day to execute at your highest ability to get the job done. And we all know what fuels BQ. It starts with your mental mindset because your mental mindset fuels your emotions. And based on how you're feeling, that's going to trigger your actions, which will dictate the performance that happens. So today I want to introduce you to our guest, Jason Forrest, who is an author and he's an sales ninja in his leadership and sales training. So he's going to talk about his background and history. He's going to tell us about his new book that's out that I'm crazy about learning more about the 42 strategies that are within this book for mental mindset for that sales warrior. So we're going to dig into that. But first, Jason, welcome to the show. Gosh, thank you so much, Mary. I'm, I'm very, 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 very pleased. I, I uh, very, very pleased when I heard about this podcast. I think this is awesome. I love anything that's helping salespeople what I say, earn what they're truly worth. And it's interesting. I love your, your, your quotient there because uh, one of the first things that I've been teaching for, gosh, I don't know, the last 15 years is this thing called the results matrix. And the results matrix is very similar to yours in the sense that our behaviors, what I'm sorry, our results, what we achieve comes from our behaviors, what we do, which comes from our motivation, which is how we, um, you know, why we do what we do, which comes from our emotional state, our feelings, uh, certainty or uncertainty, which comes from our beliefs. We feel I am enough or not enough, which comes from our programming, which is from our culture and our parents and our past trainers and teachers and philosophers and books we've read, et cetera, et cetera, um, which is interesting. So that's our results matrix. Programming drives beliefs, which drives emotions, which drives motivation, which drives behaviors, which drives uh, results. And so such a great alignment there. It's a great alignment. Yes, sir, it is. I love the term programming. This is brilliant. We're all raised a certain way. We all have had our path to this point. And those of us that have chosen a sales profession, it's crazy. The way that we're programmed is going to dictate. It's brilliant. It's just going to dictate how every thought, when that piece of information or fact enters our mind, that's immediately where we're going to start telling the story because our programming is our frame of reference. So as new information enters our mind, that's initially we're going to expand on it. I want to talk more about the mental mindset. Do you mind sharing your story and allowing our listeners to, to, to learn more about you? Yeah. So, so I, I'm, my quick story is I'm just, I'm one of the fortunate ones in the sense that I grew up in a very positive pro sales family, which is very, the, you know, it's the opposite for most human beings. For most human beings, sales is a plan B career versus a plan A. I mean, whenever I go to talk to, you know, anyone and I say, I'm, I'm sure your parents didn't pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for education so that someday you could be in sales. I mean, that just doesn't happen. I mean, less than 3% of colleges teach sales. And so we know that's not what people usually signed up for, but I was in a very pro sales family. Uh, my dad was in sales. He owns an older story store in Dallas. My mom has been teaching public speaking and debate for 50 years. My Sunday school teacher was Zig Ziglar. I mean, I just grew up in a very positive selling environment. And so I've, I've, I've only known sales. I mean, I remember, uh, here's a cool kind of dadism is that Back in the early 80s when there was a savings and loan scandal and just all the different recessions we've all gone through, I remember my dad, uh, I came home one day and I was a little kid and, and I said, dad, are you worried about being laid off? And he owned, he owned, owned his own business and so forth. But I said, are you worried about you know, going under or being laid off? And because all my 
my friend's, you know, parents are being laid off. And he said, no, he goes, as long as you're in the top 20% of sales professionals, you'll never be laid off. You're, you're, you're the lifeblood of America. You're the lifeblood of capitalism. You're what, you're what every company needs. I mean, the last person we laid off in every organization is the owner. The second to last person is the highest revenue producer. I mean, that, that was my upbringing, like at eight years old, you know? So I just like, all right, well, it seems like the most surefire thing for me to do that's recession proof is to be a sales warrior, is to be that person every day that says, you know, I will be paid congruent to the value that I provide the company that I serve. And that, and that's, you know, that's, you know, it's, and, it's, and since then I've gone through, you know, different sales careers and I've had definitely stumbling blocks and I've had places where I'm way too arrogant. And I was, you know, I was, uh, I, I was taught a very humbling lesson. Um, but, you know, but it's all about, it's all about noticing and recognizing and being aware of your, you know, struggles and your areas of setback and then pushing through and figuring out what can I learn from this? Yeah, I grew up in a family that my parents ran a small business and I also saw work ethic that just didn't turn off. And I saw them working from early morning hours, late into the evenings and weekends. I grew up in the business. I was there every day after school. That's, I would be done with school. I would walk over to the business and I was there until they shut down for the night and we'd go home. We were eating very late dinners. We did a lot of drive-throughs during that time. And sometimes one parent would be able to leave early and we'd go home and actually cook a real dinner, which was nice. But I grew up looking at the grind, the hustle, the grit, and the survival. And that's interesting when you grow up in that environment, it's not foreign to you. It's not really something you have to go and learn later in life. So I think that you and I both have that similarity. Now, I would also say that I had a few humble checks. I was the number one sales rep when I ventured into sales. I was an admin for two years at 22 to 24. And at age 24, when I went into mid-market sales, I became the number one rep. And I like style points, quota crushing. My first year, I sold more than number two and three combined. Wow. Right. I also needed some humble checks. I heard your comment about, are you indispensable? You're the top revenue producer. Do they keep you around? And I think that as we get in this day and age where companies are really caring about quality of the people that they have as well, and they don't have those golden handcuffs for revenue, I would, the only thing I would add to that, and I was thankful that you said the humility and the, the humble check in there, is if you're the top revenue producer, but you're a jerk while you're doing it, the company still may just take the number two person or the number three person if you're tough to deal with. And as a former top performer that had a lot of opinions and that I was not afraid to tell people what was up, I, I had through professional maturity and, and growing through that time realized that I could have handled myself a little bit differently. And now in the coaching and training that we're doing, we wanna empower people to be those top performers, but there's a human aspect to it where you can also come to find out, be a pretty awesome human being in addition to be a top revenue producer. So that was just a tough lesson I had to learn in my, uh, in my 20s. So that's a really great background. And so tell me what inspired you. Tell me the, the path of your first book. You, you write the very first book. That's always the hardest book. And tell me about that journey. What was it about? What was it like to get that published? And, and what was the, after that was released to the market, what was the awareness for you on what your path was gonna be moving forward and how you were gonna be giving back to this community of salespeople? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I want to answer the, can I make a, a yes and comment to the first thing real fast? I want to get to the other one is that um, we have a concept in the book called the mastery pyramid. 
and we talk about this idea of being below the line and above the line. And, and if you think about the, the levels of consciousness of a human being, the bottom level is playing to not lose. So I just don't want to get fired. The next level is playing to cruise. I kind of know what my quota is and I fly in, I, I fly in the safe zone. I call it like Switzerland. You know, I'm not on the nice list. I'm not in the president's circle, but I'm also not on the naughty list. I'm not getting written up. That's, that's playing to cruise. Then you have playing to compete. Playing to compete are the high revenue producers, but they're low profitability. So they are the quota crushers, but to your point, they're doing it in a lot of cases with low profit margins. They convince the company internally that they should take this deal more than they convince the customer that they should pay the full price. So that's playing to compete. And then they go above the line and they play for improvement. They take personal ownership and they say, how can I be better than I was yesterday? Playing for the challenge is how can I make one little tweak? And then playing for mastery is, is they've, they've mastered their presence and their claim and their penetration and their surrender and their expression um, and their invitation. They've just mastered the flow of all of it. That's a whole different game, you know? And so I, to your point, I 100%, I, I echo and I agree that it's really, it's not the highest revenue producer. We should probably change it and say, it's the most, it's the highest profit revenue producer because it's the profit is what matters. And you could have those people that, you know, that you're right, they are internal jerks, but I can, I can also show you the profit loss that's caused because of that turmoil they have inside the organization. So I just, I thought it was kind of a cool thing. I wanted to, you agree with that as well? I'm, I'm writing it down. <laughs> That was one of the best explanations I've ever heard of segmenting your salespeople. What I love about that is it, it wasn't a blanket, the bottom 20%, you know, the bottom 50%. This put people into tiers that are extremely meaningful in explanation, especially as it relates to profitability for an organization. When you're looking at the sales org and you're able to put them in these tiers, that's unbelievable. I, that the comment that you made, about the salesperson focusing more on selling internally than externally to get a deal pushed through. I've never heard that verbalized, but I've lived it. I've seen it and I know I've done it. Yeah. And to hear you say that is such a call out for so many reps that are top performers, that are top revenue producers, that are that grit, grind, hustler, high BQ, do what it takes. But that statement is extremely impressive to say it's benefiting you, but is it benefiting the organization? Is it profitable revenue? I also feel like the reps who participate in those types of uh, that type of selling, they have to work harder because their deals are worth less and they're potentially bringing on business that isn't great. And then you deal with the intangibles of a, maybe a client who's not aligned with mission, vision, values of the company. They're not a good customer. Uh, customer on the beginning who's going to be negotiating down on margin and be kind of tough to sell and get on board and have to make so many concessions for. It's just a glimpse of how they're going to treat the company ongoing. And so it may not even be a true ideal customer, but you've got the salesperson that's so driven and they're throwing in these deals to push anything through to hit that target versus looking holistically as what's good for me, what's good for the company. And quite honestly, in that top tier, when you're selling bigger, healthier deals and you're not discounting as much and your margins are super healthy, you have to sell few of those throughout the year in order to get the same result as the person below you. And so if you wanted to put in that extra effort, that's where that extra performance can come from. And it's going to come from bringing on really great business. So that was very profound. Well, so here's, so for the listeners now, then I'll, I'll, I'll teach you something that's in the book that I think could help. 
is, you know, one, you got to have awareness of where you feel like you are on the line. So again, playing to not lose, playing to cruise, playing to compete, playing for improvement, playing for the challenge, playing for mastery. Uh, so it's two versus four, below the line versus above the line. Below the line is I am not enough. Above the line is I am enough. Very different mindset. But the, 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 it's all about the, the language. So I'm one of 2,000, um, my wife and I, her name is also Mary, so Mary Marshall Forrest, one of 2,000 uh, neuro-linguistic program, masters in neuro-linguistic programming. And it's, it's, it's all about the language we use. It's connected to our, our beliefs, to our mindset, to the neurological wiring. So for example, if you ask a salesperson, this is how you would know if you're below or, below or above. If you ask a salesperson, hey, so tell me about uh, what's preventing you from making your quota this month. If they, if they, if they go down the, the path of who or when they're below the line, okay? So who is, um, well, as soon as um, marketing can get me blank, I can make my quota. As soon as, you know, uh, XYZ uh, competitor uh, can, can, can get out of the market, I'll make my quota. As soon as the client or the prospect will say yes to this deal, I'll, so it's always who-based. Or it's when-based. So when is procrastination thinking? Well, um, when so-and-so gets me blank, then I can make my quota. So it's who or when, right? Well, um, or why? You have, you're a lot of why-based too. So why is always happening to me? Why, uh, why am I always the one that's being punished? Why am I always the one that's being called out? That's a why-based. So all those are below the line, right? So who, why, and when. To be above the line, we start, start using ownership language as what and how. Okay, so what can I do to be better within the conditions of what I've been given and, and, um, and how can I make a difference? So what can I do to be better and how can I make a bigger impact? How can I make a bigger improvement? And so that's an interesting check, Mary, right? For people listening right now is, is what language do they find themselves saying the most when they're not succeeding? Do they fall to what can I do better and how can I make a difference or who is there to blame? When, when is so-and-so going to get me this? And why is this always happening to me? So it's a good, it's a good check. It's a great self-check. And I hope that everyone is asking them that question right now. I know that there were different times throughout my mid-market B2B SaaS career where my answer would have changed. And I know that there were a few times where I get checked and I heard myself blaming everything on everyone around me. And I had a great manager that was more of a mentor to me that helped me see what the typical management, here's the circle of what you can control and here's the circle of what you can't control. But the awareness on that was great. I was so focused on what I couldn't control. I was so focused on marketing and the competitors and even my peers around me. I was focused on operations and what they weren't doing. I was focused on the product and how it was falling behind. But you know what's interesting, those years where I was focused on those items, it was a direct correlation to what I was selling. They weren't my highest performing years, but what's shocking, right? It's not shocking. In that same year, even though all those things may have been very true and factual statements, I had peers selling over a million dollars and I was struggling to get Eclipse 700,000, where in years past I had done that. So we're selling the exact same product. We're doing the exact same job. We have the exact same marketing department. We have the exact same operations department and we have the exact same competitors, but it's all about that programming. Like you're saying, and our belief systems on that. And I let in some of the years, or maybe it was even less like months and quarters of bad waves 
hitting me and that severely impacted my BQ and my execution and my performance. So this really hits home for me. And I hope that people are listening to this because you may have had a great run in your career at some point, and you may have these ebbs and flows where sometimes you answer these questions and you're very clearly above the line. And sometimes you may fall below the line. This isn't an ask the question one time. Be like, I'm good to go. I'm amazing, right? This is stuff that we should be asking ourselves consistently. Yeah, and the reason why, I, I think one of the biggest um, kind of tips I was given is never judge your success in sales based on your sales numbers. And because the numbers, unfortunately, they lie. They lie because there are some, sometimes during, during, you know, you're gonna have what's what I call market sales. There's market sales and there's warrior sales. And so a market sale is, there's a, it's a sale with no challenge of perspective, no conflict, no compromise. You know, it's just, and it happens. I mean, we, we get them sometimes, you know, people maybe off this podcast and we'll call them, yeah, I love what you said, this was awesome. And, you know, uh, just sign me up. How much does it cost? Sign me up. Well, there's no condensing in that. There's no conflict. I didn't have to overcome anything, you know? Well, that's a market sale. That just came from our marketing efforts of being on podcasts like this, right? Well, other times, um, we have what's called a warrior cell and a warrior cell does have challenge of perspective and it does have conflict and it does have a compromise and those kind of things. And, and so what I tell people is the best way to judge your success is to judge the number of, of warrior sales you get out of your total sales on a monthly basis. But that takes a lot of uh, detachment. You have to drop your ego to do that and really do the work and we get people forms that say, where was their conflict in the sale? When did the customer say, I'm not interested? You know, uh, where did they, what objections they give you? How did you overcome those? So there has to be those in order for you to say, you know what, I earned that, I did that. Well, that's a true measure of your success versus I know salespeople that are making $200,000 just because they're in the right market right now. They're in the right, inter right economy or industry. And then all of a sudden that industry goes down and they say, oh, well, it must not have been me. It must be the industry. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go jump to a different industry and they, and they just, they, they never learn the truth um, of owning what, what a real, what a real warrior cell is all about. That's exactly right. I worked for a payroll and HR company and I was in sales between 2008 to 2011. And we all know what happened during that time. Between 2006 to 2008, I was the admin, the district sales assistant supporting the team. We were the number one team in the country. The reps on that team had a lot of market sales and we had great differentiation from the other national competitor at the time. I used to listen to their prospecting and telemarketing and the lead call, the language was simply, we're typically about 10 to 25% less than fill in the blank. And our technology doesn't have to run on a mainframe. It actually runs on your PC which makes it more accessible, quicker, and easier to use. Can we set up a 15 to 20 minute evaluation side by side? I can get you a com competitive quote on the spot. That was the outbound call. Mm -hmm. When you have two extremely compelling differentiators that were true and you're selling on at that moment, better technology and you're saving them a couple of bucks, you don't have a lot of conflict in the sale like you're talking about. Of course, that back then it was less technical as well. In the world of payroll and HR, it's now expanded to a full HCM suite, which has become a lot more competitive. But back in the day, it was mostly just cutting checks, just payroll. And when you look at what happened to that team, 
after 2008, 2009, the market shifted. And that's when I went into sales and I watched a lot of the former top reps that have really just rode out the glory days. It became difficult. And when you stripped away the ease of the differentiators, new uh, competitors popped up in the market and the sale became a lot more complex. There were more players in the game, those that were prettier in their user interface, they had better stories. And it was interesting to watch the reps to see if they can transition from riding the highs of working for a really awesome company with great brand recognition, differentiated technology service and less expensive to having to go into the warrior sale. And most of them didn't succeed. And one by one, we watched them fall off. Their numbers lessened significantly. And they had to make that decision that they couldn't be successful there. They couldn't learn a new way of selling. And they found themselves going to the next shiny competitor that would give them that same wave that they could ride or they changed industries. And you're exactly right. And I saw it happen firsthand. Yeah, yeah. So I know your original question was um, my inspiration around the books. So let me just make sure I answer that. So, so I started my company again in, in around the 2008 uh, market as well. And, I, and back then I was, I was um, really primarily in the, in the housing market. So the housing market was pretty tough back in 2008. And since then we're in all different industries and we're all over the world. And, and so what I, what I noticed was that uh, salespeople were complaining and said, you know what, people aren't buying houses in this economy and no one's urgent. And I just knew that not to be true. I just knew that, you know, people are always buying houses as long as they're, as long as life improvements there, there's always something frustrating there. People are always they're having babies and they're getting married and things are changing. You know, people get, make more money. And, and so, you know, a home is a fixed thing, but a life is a changing thing. Right. So, so the second someone moves into their house, you know, the home starts to become extinct because life's life's happening in that home. You know, you're outgrowing your home, just like you outgrow a shirt, you know, if you gain weight and so forth. And so, so the, 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 so I knew that may not be true. And so what I wanted to do is I want to show people how to, how to be successful in that. So I wrote this book called creating an urgency in a non-urgent housing market. My first book I ever wrote. And, and I would go, I would, I would go door to door and I would try to sell training services to, to companies, home builders. And they would say to me, you know, Jason, I can't afford training because training is a, a, a it's a luxury, not a necessity. Okay. It's something we do to reward our reps, you know, which I realized, oh, wow, that's interesting, right? It's not a strategic initiative to give them additional resources to be more successful. It's a, you're already successful. So let me just like treat you with a motivational seminar. It's like really interesting, right? And so, and so I just kind of put my money where my mouth was. And so I told people, I said, look, here's the deal. How many, how many months left do you have to live? And they went, what do you mean? How many months until your business is going to go bankrupt? And you can't, because you're not selling these homes and you, you know, you, you, you can't survive. And they would tell me nine, 12, 14 months. And I said, okay, here's the deal. I'll go month to month with you and, and I'll turn your sales team around. And if it works, then you keep bringing back next month. If it doesn't work, then you just fire me, you know? And I know I'm not gonna get paid anyway, cause you're gonna go bankrupt and all is all right. So I'll take all the risk, you know? And uh, so that's why I started my company. I started my company just, just door to door, one by one, making that claim, making that promise. Um, and then since then, for the last four years, we're the fastest growing sales training company in North America based on Inc. We're a best place to work company um, in Fort Worth the last four years in a row and on Inc. Um, we've got over 30 employees and, you know, world, worldwide. You know what I mean? So it's, 
but I think it's about, and that's, that's a good thing for everyone to hear right now too, is, is, you know, I talk a lot about, you have to be an advocate for your product. So you have to be an advocate for what you're selling and what you believe. And I don't know if a lot of, a lot of salespeople are an advocate for what they're selling and what they're, what they're offering, you know, so we can teach them all day long, the, the step-by-step -step process. We have an awesome process called the 543 that very, it's very step-by-step -step, chunked down how-to-based sales process, which we which again, it's won all kinds of awards. We feel, I, I feel like I can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with any sales trainer out there and my sales process will beat their sales process. I feel like I'm the, the Bruce Lee of sales training, you know, I'll, 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 I'll challenge all the grandmasters are out there. But regardless of that though, it doesn't matter if, if you're not an advocate for what you, what, for your product or service. And so people ask me all the time, well, what does being an advocate? Well, the advocate is, is the founder of the company. Your best salesperson from an advocate level is the one who created the company. And so my question is, is that, is your founder, is he more passionate and believe more in the value of what your product and service can offer your customer than you? And when he talks about it, is he talk about it with more conviction or she with more conviction than you? Well, that's an advocate. You're not. If you don't believe in what you're selling, it's so obvious yeah. in the sales conversation. As a CEO now of a firm, we're not as big as you, we have 12 people, but I still make buying decisions a lot. And it's funny because some people pick up on the fact that we're a sales firm and they, I think, feel a little bit under pressure, like they're approach might be under a magnifying glass. But for the most part, I don't see a lot of people consciously trying to do a really great job. And they're making a lot of the very, very common sales mistakes. But I am being sold to by reps that I don't feel the passion, the belief in their product and service. And when I was on the John Barrows podcast, one thing that he said that I just thought was brilliant was truly all that sales is, it's a transfer of enthusiasm from the salesperson to the buyer. And what I love about that is the salesperson who is enthusiastic and passionate and articulate and knows their product and service inside and out, the pains and problems that it solves, truly who the ideal customer is and why their life is better because they're buying it. That salesperson, when they're excited and passionate, enthusiastic and articulate and knowledgeable, that transfers unbelievably in the sales conversation and it builds an extreme amount of trust which leads to a buying decision and that transfer of enthusiasm and you're exactly right if they don't have that don't bother with the training yeah. uh, we have a sales training component here at sales bq uh, not as strong of a focus as yours but we will always hone in on the fact that sometimes we have what we call the prisoners in the room or their company sent them and you can just tell it's like man this isn't going to go very far and we can see when people are engaged, when they're bought in, when they're ready to rev up their sales game and take it to the next level. And then when there are points that they're not, they're just not emotionally in on it. And I like to use the term, we're not magicians. I can't sell the product or service for your salesperson. We can teach them process. We can teach them methodology. We can role play. We do in the field coaching and training. We'll sit with them in live execution. Awesome. And I'm not going to do it for them. And when we're picking up on that lack of passion, enthusiasm, and buying, it's like, dude, why are you here? Yeah. Or do that. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, we, we have a similar, def our definition is selling is certainty plus education with rapport. So it's transferring that certainty on how your product's going to help them, education, backing it up with the why, but then you got to be in rapport and rapport is being on the same page with them. It's not, 
it's not faux rapport, like let's be friendship, friends for life. It's business rapport of what is your outcome? What is your goal? And I gotta make sure I'm in alignment with that. And then I can, I can, I can apply certainty and education to get you to go from where you are to where you want to go. So exactly. um, let's use yeah, the last all. few minutes of our time together to talk about the mindset of a sales warrior. This is the new book. This is your baby right now. Game changing. <laughs> I want to hear about this book and feel free for people who are watching this via video. If you want to show that beautiful cover, you're more than welcome to. And I want to hear the story behind this book. There's 42 strategies in here. Maybe pick one or two of your favorites. Let's leave this audience with something so powerful that they can implement immediately and then get them really excited to, uh, to buy this book. Okay, perfect. Yeah, so I wrote this book because I believe a salesperson is fighting a war on all fronts. So I start the, start the book, meaning that, that their friends and family are saying, hey, you work too many hours and it's so much risk and why are you doing this? Their customers say that you know, the, the operations department sucks. The prospect are saying that they're overpriced. Um, I mean, it's just they're fighting a war on all fronts, right? And so this book is about, it's, it's, it's kind of like a love letter to a salesperson of, hey, let me help you because you've got you've to get your own me. I call it the me. You got to get your own, your own me to be strong and it has to be stronger than all the outside voices that are out there with your customer and prospect and your boss. I mean, your boss can, I, I know sales managers that say, you know, if you don't make your number, you're fired or, or their, or their coworkers will say, the only reason why you're succeeding right now is you got a great territory. I mean, like they're just, no one's helping them right now. Right. And so this book is for them. This book is for the sales warrior uh, to really help themselves and strengthen that, or uh, that inner me. And it's based around this one simple formula. Sounds like you like formula. So get another formula. And that is um, performance equals knowledge minus leashes. Okay. So this is our formula. It took me forever to create this formula. So performance is what we do. Knowledge is what we've been told to do. So it's our selling skills, our financial knowledge, our product knowledge, our brand knowledge. So in, in theory, it should be performance equals knowledge, meaning that they listen to this podcast right now. We've taught them some tips and tricks on how to be successful. That's the knowledge. Well, we'd think that it would just translate to performance. People would learn something and they go do it. That doesn't work though. That's, that's the whole education system today. That's why it's flawed. It doesn't work. So I've added a component called leashes. So minus out leashes. And a leash is, is a story, self-image, reluctance, or rule that holds you back from executing the knowledge 100% of the time. So a story, so let's just, we'll make it real simple. So let's say we teach a salesperson a simple thing, like what's holding you back from, uh, from buying with me today? Okay, simple question. What concerns, what questions that would prevent you from, from moving forward with us today? That teaches us so many great things. It's easy to execute. Why would you not ask that? Okay, well, the story says is external. Uh, well, you know what? I can already tell you based on uh, the customer that I think they're going to go with the XYZ competitor and I just, I'm not even going to try. Okay, it's a story. Uh, Self-image is I'm afraid of what they're going to say. I don't know how to respond. A reluctance is a situational fear. Well, you know what? I'll say that when it's my friend, but I'm not going to say it to my family or I'm not going to, or I'm going to say it to a complete stranger, but I won't say it to someone I know, you know, or I won't say it to an upmarket clientele, but I'll say it to someone in my same pay grade. And then last is a rule and a rule is a rule of engagement. So anything I need to see, feel, or hear in order um, to feel comfortable to do it. So if they're smiling, I'll ask that question. If they're nodding their head, yes, I'll ask that question. That's a lot of stuff we've been taught that's causing people to be leashed. Okay. So story, self-image, reluctance, and rule. Okay. Well, how do you know that you have one of these? Well, just right now, think of one single thing that you have been trained to do 
and ask yourself one simple question that is what's stopping you from using that technique with 100% of my buyers. And that right there will identify that you have some sort of leash, you have some sort of charge, some sort of head trash in a story, self-image reluctance rule that's preventing you from doing that. Um, and that, that's where the journey starts. But I would say if, if you, if they just could start the work right now of asking themselves, you know, think of your last 10 prospects, what's a process you're supposed to be doing and ask yourself, well, which customers I not follow the process and what stopped me from doing it and start noticing, well, I just didn't feel right about it. Well, what, what was that though? What did you notice in them that made you not feel right? But that's the beginning of the origin and the awareness of those leashes. And then what you want to do is you want to purge those out. And one of the techniques I talk about in the book comes from uh, Byron Katie's work of just questioning this. So a question, you, you always want to strengthen things that you want more of with affirmations and you want to weaken things that you want less of with questions. And so you would say something like, well, you know, Jason, I, they just weren't, they weren't smiling. And I've been taught if they're smiling, they're buying. And I felt really insecure because they weren't smiling. Okay. Well, then you would question it. Well, is it true that if they're not smiling, they're not buying? Well, yeah, I just feel like that's a, you know, that's a buying signal. Okay. Is it a hundred percent true? Has there ever been a time in your entire life where someone's bought from you from a, with a grumpy face? Well, yeah, I guess I have sold people. Has anyone ever bought, I mean, Donald Trump has the grumpiest face in the world. He buys all stuff all the time, right? So is there a grumpy, you know? One of the things I teach all the time is, is that, um, you know, if you think about it, when people rise up in the food chain, you're different, you're different, but when people rise up in the food chain and they go from like employee to owner or VP, to owner, they keep going up in the food chain, the gravitational pull pulls their face down and they get grumpy face, right? And so you're, you're the only CEO I've ever seen that's smiling. So congratulations on that. I feel, like I, I feel like I frown a lot as I get more stress in my life. So what we tell people is it's actually quite the opposite. If you want to follow some sort of buying cue, go find the grumpiest woman or man in a networking event. That's the one with all the money. That's the one, with, that's the one that's carrying the stress. The little bubbly person with no stress, that, they, they can't afford what you're selling anyway. If you wanted to follow that simple rule, which I don't want to follow any rules. I don't want anything that's going to prevent me from doing what I'm supposed to do. I just love these examples. And I think the gut check here is, is that true 100% of the time? Yeah. Because if we have a belief system, we're treating it as though it is true 100% of the time. And just inserting that wedge of doubt that maybe it's true nine out of 10 times, or maybe it's true eight out of 10 times and just lessening the truth on that of our current belief system, it opens up the wedge of possibility. Yep. Maybe we can entertain a different outcome or a different situation or a different possibility of existence than we knew before. And that mindset coaching is very powerful. Before I started working with a coach, I lived in this beautiful box and I knew all the answers in life and I already had my plan, my vision. I knew how the, I knew how the whole story was going to go. And boy, am I glad that I met with that coach because it's amazing what was happening outside of that box. A whole world was happening. Yeah. And I limited myself tremendously. And when I removed that box and just started inserting wedges of possibility, that when I was so certain in my truths, gosh, I'm a stubborn person. <laughs> but when I let the wedge of possibility come in, even just a crack to let in some light of what could be, it's quite extraordinary what happens when you start going down that path and you don't make assumptions 
on situations. The term leashes, it's brilliant. I think it creates a visual that you can physically feel yourself, see yourself being restrained or held back, which is exactly what's happening in this from reaching that peak performance. We've got to wrap up. I don't want to. I want to talk to you for the rest of the afternoon. This I'll is come a back whenever you would like. And you should bring, you should really bring Mary Marshall Forrest back on here too, because she is unbelievable. And she and I are all over the, we, we, we speak together all over the world and, and in school, because she has, I mean, I have a very kind of dominant masculine perspective to things and she has a nice feminine perspective, but they, they end to the same thing. But I do have an offer for people. Do it. Let's okay. hear it. So my quick offer is um, you can get the book on Amazon or on Audible, and which is great because you can hear Mary and I talk through every strategy kind of podcast style, which is always fun. Um, and, or if you go to um, warrior, warriormindsetbook.com, then you can get the book for free and just pay shipping and handling. And then there's some additional offers on there for like another 20 something bucks. You can get the, you can get the audio version where Mary and I discuss it. Plus I'm a, um, I'm certified in hypnotherapy. And so I take people through some meditations and some hypnosis sessions where um, I can actually get inside of those, those, um, those leashes, some goal setting guides, all kinds of additional things in there for warriormindsetbook.com. So. Ah, it's so incredible. I'm so glad that we got connected today. Yes, I'd love to have her on. I've never met a Mary I didn't like. So there you go. My daughter's name is Mary. So there you go. We can have. Okay, that's brilliant. I like you so much. (laughs) All right, on that note, we're going to wrap it up. Did you want to say anything else on how people can connect with you or is that your. Yeah. So, yeah. So we can go to, you go to, you can go to um, FPG, stands for Forest Performance Group, FPG.com for our company site. You can go to Jason, uh, sorry, Mary and Jason Forrest.com for our speaking site or both get the same thing. So FPG.com as well as warrior mindset, uh, But, uh, yeah, love to love to engage with people and connect with people. And, and just, again, my personal mission is to ignite the pride, purpose and respect professional selling. And I've been really on that journey my whole life. And so this book will help people release any of the leashes that keep them from earning what they're truly worth. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Of course. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of the Quota Crusher podcast. I'm so pleased that you could join. You clearly heard your call to actions. You need to get this book. I don't know about you. I'm a huge fan of the audio. I want to hear Jason and Mary talk through this thing. I want to make it come to life. I want to hear it so it's super transferable for me and really hits home, just like this podcast did. Remember, if you haven't connected with me on LinkedIn, please do so. Follow the Quota Crusher podcast on all of your favorite podcast links, but you can also watch the video on our YouTube channel if you're more into, you know, watching two people talk it out. And of course, subscribe to our newsletter. And if you haven't been to my LinkedIn profile lately, we just released what I personally believe is one of the strongest pieces of content that we've produced in two and a half years. And the topic is how CEOs grow revenue holistically. This is a quick recap for all of our listeners to talk about. Send this over to your CEO if you're a salesperson, but get them engaged in the conversation about sales and marketing alignment and everything else that needs to come together to have the most profitable results possible. I'm Mary Grothy. See you next time.